No. It's enough. Even torturing you is boring. This is the small council. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. So, uh, kind of a last-minute episode, uh, bringing on Carlo to talk about his uh, his first-place win at the Always Winter Grand Tournament. Uh, and uh, it wasn't in the title, but uh, we will be kind of throwing a little Adepticon in there, uh, kind of comparing the two and going over just, uh, you know, all the, all the things that happened over the weekend. Um, with that said, uh, thank you so much for coming on, Carlo. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me back. It's always uh, good to come and uh, chat about song with you. Yep, I agree. Um, and then also, uh, last minute, um, we have Craig on with us. Uh, I know you're at work, but I do appreciate you uh, being able to make the time. Yeah, no problem. So... Um, I'm not going to lie. I did not even know the Always Winter Grand Tournament was uh, on the same day as Adepticon. <laughs> but I've had quite a bit going on. Uh, crazy over here on this end. Um, just between, you know, preparing for Adepticon and, you know, last-minute painting. Uh, I painted, like, 80% of my army uh, within, like, the first uh, the last five days before the tournament uh, started. And then uh, wife's due in like eight days, so it's been a little hectic. Uh, so uh, I try to do as much of a recap as I could of the Always Winter Tournament, but I'm going to kind of let uh, Carlo take it away with that one since uh, obviously you were there and I wasn't. No, absolutely. Um, I actually I, I found... Um... The, the two tournaments on the same weekend was uh, almost an in- interesting surprise to me as well. Uh, over, obviously, over here, over in the UK, and for me specifically, I had been looking forward to and preparing for Always Winter, you know, for the past few months, and particularly since the uh, recent Season 2 changes came out, I had been looking towards it as my first real chance to test out the new changes, the new kind of, um, you know, meta, as it were. But really, there aren't wild changes there. It was just a new chance to kind of see what lists people would bring, see what things are going on. And I was a little bit surprised, actually, because I'd been a bit tuned out to the wider the wider community. I was surprised to find out that Adepticon was the same weekend until maybe like two, three weeks before, uh, when I was really in the final ramp-up towards um towards the tournament i hadn't actually realized that a adepticon was going on at the same time and b that adepticon has actually grown to be quite big this year it it is i believe the biggest uh u.s tournament that's ever run now right uh yeah i believe so which was awesome to hear um uh, i actually to be totally honest uh when they said how many we had which i think was what 46 yeah um I thought uh, uh, LVO actually had more, but I guess I was wrong. (laughs) 
Uh, I, I think LVO ended up maybe at 44, although I could be wrong. Um, but um, no, I, I was surprised that um, Adepticon had managed to be so big this year. And um, and as you say, always winter falling at the same weekend. It's actually slowly moving later in the year. In the past, it's been, um, it, as its name suggests, always winter. It was actually run previously in January. Um, but um, it's it, it's become... A, an important part of the UK calendar and and interestingly you know we'll talk about some of the entrants uh, I guess in a little while but uh, there are even some international travelers this year for it uh, we saw um, Jaron Flixie um, who's uh, part of the um, the channel um, Rotterdam White Scars um, and he came over from the Netherlands and um, we also saw uh, Philippe um, Titus, uh, as he's known through stats, uh, come over from France, one of the organizers of French uh, of, of the French nationals last year, uh, a big part of the French community. And then even surprisingly, we saw two players come over from Greece who were uh, much less lesser known inside the community. So it was very interesting seeing that it's getting a slightly bigger and wider reputation um, as, as an event that's going to attract some international uh, travelers because it's really been a homegrown success of uh of the scottish community and the uk community which has been really great to see it's grown over the past couple of years since covid um allowed for uh, for people to re-attend events it's grown in line with the lgt and the pair of them have really become quite established parts of uh the english scene the uk scene and um and and the real celebrations of the community coming together and quite social events which is uh, really brilliant to see yeah and uh even with like adepticon um i was surprised uh when they finally announced that they were going to use stats uh i could be totally wrong but i think this is the first like cmon uh tournament in the states that has used stats uh, well, um, I believe LVO, LVO there as well, but uh, yeah, I mean, depends depends how, uh, how how official uh, official you mean in terms of Simon uh, endorsed. But yeah, it's really really good to see <laughs> um, the the use of the site and that it's being more widely adopted in the US. Um, there's always uh, it's, it's a, the US has always been a slightly slow adopter of the site, and uh, and I really hope that it can help bring. The, the wider U.S. community together help uh, really portray the positives of the competitive side of the game because I think that that is uh, all tournaments want to be a celebration of the competitive side of the game, a celebration of the competitive community rather than um, any kind of, uh, shall we say, um, bad representation of like game balance or bad representation of um, of any given player in any way. It wants to be as as positive uh, an outcome as possible, and hopefully stats can allow people to you know see see and promote these events and show them to the wider community, and that will help generate some more buzz. That's always been one of the successes that the UK has had is uh, getting people interested in events and and and, and generating that sense of uh, that sense of FOMO that like I wish I had been there and I hope that people wish that they had been at Adepticon this year and come Adepticon next year it'll be even bigger and better and uh, tournaments will be uh, really growing into big big things that people can uh, really look forward to in the calendar and travel for 
Yeah, I, and me as a uh, a player that doesn't really play on TTS, I'm always excited to find out when um, a tournament is using stats. Um, it's just kind of nice to get uh, some of my games on stats to kind of show people that I I'm not just like all talk that you know I at least am competent in the game, uh, but it's. Uh, I I wish they actually would have done stats for all four Adepticon tournaments, but they only did it for the main event. Um, but uh, maybe next year they'll I- incorporate another like two out of the four. Maybe who knows? Maybe all four tournaments uh, on stats next year. Yeah, I mean th- there are some limitations to uh, the use of stats in that way. You know, I I, I am aware that at least one of the tournaments uh, was a doubles event. That that that's doesn't try and, I've never really been able to uh, <laughs> I've never really had the desire to build um, the very difficult way that a doubles event might actually be run through the site that would be very complicated and uh, and, and until the community is really uh, you know running running double events every weekend uh, it's probably never something that the the site will be able to cater for so you know, there's always limitations but in, in normal, shall we say, you know, normal events, generally quite standard events, things that people consider main events at GTs. Um, hopefully, the site is, is is there to help the players make make the whole process a lot smoother and simpler uh, for the entrance and the TOs on the day. Um, so hopefully, it's providing that. Uh, I did hear a few a few rumors that um, internet might not have been so easily accessible um, in, uh, in in the dungeons of uh, in the dungeons of the room at Adepticon that uh, um, a <laughs> fire found itself in. Uh, so you know that that is always going to be a bit of a struggle if uh, if, if, if the internet's not so uh, not so readily accessible. But yeah, I, I, the site yeah. wants to cater to to what the community wants it to do. And, and I think it's achieved that over the past couple of years. I think it's getting um, widely used and widely accepted. And that's what I always wanted, that it would be helpful and powerful and um, and, and, and just help create these interactions that we're having right now, help uh, help recognize um, the successes had throughout the world. The, I, I really think that um, we wouldn't be here talking about a tournament that happened in the northern reaches of Scotland on a show run by uh, run, run by by a U.S. based podcast, if there wasn't this wider recognition of um, events that are going on in the community, I myself have found um, much much bigger scenes, much more active players, lots of brilliant players um, in countries that I had no idea and would never know that they were playing song and doing really really good things and putting on good events. You know, places out of Spain, Italy, uh, and and as I mentioned before, Greece seems to be really now sort of like joining the uh, international community, as it were, and starting to gain itself some uh, recognition and um, and appreciation on those fronts. So. Hopefully, it's about celebrating and appreciating um, the work that every TO and every player puts in to uh, turn up at events, have a great time, play some games. And, uh, and, and if we can appreciate players doing well and coming up with new strategies at the same time, then that's uh, always, a, always a good goal. But it's trying to showcase at, 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 its, at its top level, showcase the activity of the game and, and help everybody know that the game is, is thriving and is growing. And and, I, and that's why I specifically called out 
the fact that Adepticon is bigger than it has been before and that that's a great sign for the future of the game. Um, and, and hopefully, um, you know, the game will continue to grow for many years to come. I agree. And kind of to go back to the point you were talking about, you know, the just knowing about tournaments that are happening in areas that you never really would have cared about or thought about before. I mean, that's kind of how I feel about, uh, I feel like stats kind of brings us together in that sense. Cause I think without stats or without this community that kind of reaches across the world, you know, uh, if I was back playing any, almost any of the other games that I used to play or play uh, sporadically, if you told me an event happened anywhere in uh, uh, Europe, just anywhere uh, other than U.S., I'd probably be like, okay, so, like, yeah, I'd have no interest in it. Uh, because I feel like it just it, it's it's like a whole other world, you know. It's it, it doesn't pertain to me, but because I don't know, this is the way I feel about it. I feel like our community uh, in this game, even though uh, scattered across the whole world, is all kind of one community uh, that just feels more like different play groups than it does whole like whole different countries. I think that the the existence, obviously the existence of TTS, whether or not you are a TTS player or not, um, the existence of it and the the use of it and the importance of it during a very formative time during this game. You know, this game was still quite young, um, still really finding its feet when a lot of the world moved into lockdown and a lot of gaming at that time was only had through TTS. And I feel like that whether, you know, I, I myself have not played a game on TTS in, I don't know, like maybe, maybe a year, maybe more, maybe nine months at best. But I think that the formative period in which this game became incredibly multinational and the uh, and the community became very um, interlinked through that period. Now, lots of those players have never played on TTS, do not uh, now continue to play on TTS, but the formation and the, and the linking of those communities, like you say, I think is still having an imp- impact today in making this a very multinational game making this a very multinational community who are very interested in uh, what's going on and, and, and kind of what the play styles are and what's being successful all around the world. And, and I think that the impact that TTS had on that in a very important time can't be understated. Uh, and I think that really TTS must be lauded as like one of, one of the great saviors of this game during a very difficult period. Uh, for gaming as a whole, tabletop um, as a whole, really took a big hit during that time. And yet, I think that this game really grew from strength to strength during that time. And so, uh, yeah, I think that it's still having an impact today, whether or not you've ever played a game on TTS. I think that you will feel the impact that that period had and those international tournaments that it held. Um, you know, I think they've done great things for the game long term. I agree. Uh, now, kind of jumping into uh, the Always Winter Tournament, uh, I guess we can kind of start off with, uh, you know, um, 
not only just how you did, like who who you faced, and um, uh, and just the turnout, but just uh, anything that maybe surprised you with, uh, you know, what was taken, how much of it was taken, um, just kind of the shift, uh, even if ever so slightly in uh, in the meta, or maybe not meta, but just what people decided to bring as far as factions. Yeah. So. Um... I think that overall, Always Winter had um, it had a very positive um, faction balance. So um, I'm looking just here on the um, on the stats of the event. Um, it ended up as 50 players. Um, the, the venue can host at most 56, and um, effectively it was a sold out event. But uh, you know, as 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 these things happen in the last few days, a few people just couldn't make it. Um, even even down to uh, even these days, um, the great the great COVID uh, still rears its head in the in the in the last week. I know at least one, if not more, people who couldn't make it on the day due to uh, contracting COVID um, in the build up to the event. So fifty um, still is um, a, a really brilliant celebration of that venue. It is basically uh, you know packed out for the weekend, um, but uh, it's a great mixing of players coming from quite far down south in England. Um, I know you guys think that uh, <laughs> that's just around the corner, but there are, there are some people who've, uh, you know, they've traveled <laughs> for, uh, uh, they, they've traveled for eight hours to be um, up in the Northern reaches of Scotland, uh, partly because our roads aren't very fast, but um, yes, uh, the, it, it's a celebration of the Scottish community who aren't that large as a whole um, coming together with lots uh, Northern England and, and as I say um, a few surprise international travellers this year but across that 50 we saw a, a really quite solid um, factional spread there was there was a large contingent of uh, of Lannisters they were 20% of the event so you know 10 out of that 50 um, are, are, are bringing Lannisters I think we've seen a real surge in Lannister use um, since the since the update um, I, I know that you know from a personal level been really drawn back to them as like one of my first factions but something that i haven't really been using for quite a long time um and and that's what i took to the event myself we see we see quite a spread of everything else um quite large targaryen usage of course we see very few uh, neutrals uh, two in fact which is one more than last time um, we uh, we make a big deal in uh, in the uk and always try to uh, whenever possible for these big events um, we we have a best in faction for every faction um, when possible and uh, and it's really brilliant to see that all factions were contested whereas sometimes neutral is uh, is just a default winner of whichever person plays neutral automatically is the best neutral um, so the two neutral players um, great to see Greyjoys very very underrepresented um, at only six uh, so three players six percent um, I think that that maybe shows uh like just 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 the recent changes haven't been that that popularly um received by uh by the Greyjoy players uh, so that's a bit unfortunate and there is of course the underlying issue uh, we only had two Martel players one of whom was an international was was Philippe uh international traveler from France who brought them with him um because um Martels have never seen release in the UK so uh even to get two players 
was actually a little bit of a surprise. Uh, one of them being an international traveler, the other one having imported them from the USA. Actually, uh, they uh, they had somebody from the US send them send them miniatures, I believe. So um, yeah, Martels still effectively are not out here. Um, Unfortunately, we or, or, you know, the decision has been made more recently in the UK that uh, in the past we, we, we had some limitations or it's quite common for events to only allow UK based releases. But we've unfortunately fallen so far behind what is current in a lot of ways that we've kind of scrapped that idea. Um, technically, we've never seen red cloaks uh, so at that point it's becoming a bit silly to not allow people to use red cloaks which were released almost two years ago i believe um so outside of those mitigating factors you always there to be not very many neutrals just not that popular faction martel's hardly released at all we see uh, we see two players is actually a surprisingly large number of them uh, to make it to uh, to the event and uh, and Greyjoy is being quite unpopular now. It was other outside of them very evenly spread, very good spread. There were some other kind of uh, when we get more specific about it though. Um, Kevin Lannister was very very popular inside of that high uh, that high Lannister pick, and I myself played Kevin Lannister. He is a very natural pick. Uh, right now inside of Lannisters, which I think I think we'll come to talk about. Um, Karl Drogo remains very, very popular inside of Targaryens. Um, and uh, and we also see Jon Snow making a big return to, to, to Night's Watch um, at, at um, Always Winter. And then the, the real new joiner, the big change, I, I would say the one big shift that we can talk about is in, uh, in, in kind of things that you should expect to see at a tournament and things that things that you might want to think about in the game in general is the usage of Mag the Mighty and that with his big four-point reduction, he's now quite uh, quite an attractive, popular choice. And he was, at Always Winter, the most popular three-foot commander. Now, that is a huge, huge improvement over the past where almost every pick in the past was Mance. Um, so we're seeing a big, big improvement there, in my opinion, in, in the variability of what free folk players are choosing to play with. Um, the, the the changes to maps, um, you know, effectively the nerf to what was the most significantly dominant play rate for for the game as a whole, and and one of the most dominant commanders in the entire last edition last season um ha has been very positively received i think and and has a, had a really positive impact on the results of not just this gt but also on um on the valyrian crown event that was had uh, a few weeks ago uh, maybe a month ago over in spain and on adepticon although free folk have never quite had the success in the us that they have had over in europe Yeah, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, um, was Mance even taken once uh, between both uh, events? I don't think I see him on there. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm having a look. Uh, oh, I see I see one month. Yeah, I see one month in Always Winter, and uh, I mean, it, I, I believe there's only there's only a single single free folk player in uh, Adepticon, right? Um, it, it's yeah. never been a popular faction over for you guys, and I think yeah, we see uh, we see what, <laughs> what 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 could become uh, the new more most popular free folk pairing of uh, Mag and Baromir. 
being taken to a Decepticon. Yeah. Uh, that that pair that that pair are still strong. I, I still I still believe that free folk have a place right up at the top of the tournaments uh, when played. Um, I just I think that they're in a much healthier place now um, as not being uh, wildly dominant um, and, and, and not being so obviously attracted to one commander. Now, I think that that's a problem that some of the other factions are, are starting to have and see. Um, I, I think that um, Kevin's position as, 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 as the default or the de facto like pick inside of Lannister is a little bit of an issue. And I, and I think the same can be said for Jon Snow, that he is becoming the default um, pick for Night's Watch. Uh, I would say that for me, my opinion, you know, we'll talk about some of the results and some of the stats. Um, but when you talk about the balance, there are, there are, there are in my mind, two different things to be discussed. There is, um, there is there's, there's the interfaction balance, whether or not you can play any faction and, and feel that you can do well. And I think that that is at least as good, if not the best it's ever been in the game. I, I think that really your viable options um, are wider than they've ever been before. Um, now, personally, I think that maybe there's like a top four uh, who, who really are very viable. For me, they're currently sitting as, um, as Free Folk remaining very strong. Lannisters and Night's Watch coming up to join them. And of course, Martells um, ha have had consistently strong results since release i think the four of them are, are are very strong options and that's not to say that the others can't win you know like i i really do think that um all of them have the opportunity to win but i think that lots of players will gravitate towards those four as being the easiest to win with the the, the most reliable the most consistent um and i think that that's better than it's ever been i think that having that spread across the four of them all doing well at you know many events that we have not yet seen a top five or a top 10 or ho however far you want to go down dominated by a single faction um it is much better than where we were just before where we were seeing most big events uh, were, were, were entirely dominated not just by a single faction but by a single commander in the form of mance so I think we're in a much better place there. But there is also inside of every faction, you have to um, also talk about its internal balance. It's a much smaller issue, a much smaller problem. Um, you know, I, I, as a Lannister player, want to feel that Lannister have a chance to win an event and that I don't need to play a different faction to be able to do well. That is the first and foremost thing that matters. But then assuming that we're in a good place, assuming that Lannisters have a good chance, it would also be great for me to feel that I have lots of picks of commanders and that I can go for commanders that suit my own play style, that I can go for commanders that I like, be it in the lore or I just like their cards or their ability. Now, of course, people can pick any commanders that they enjoy, but when we see loads of people gravitate towards the same picks again and again and again, that is still something of a like balance issue. When we see that everybody comes to the same choice, it really suggests that there is like one logical um, answer to that. And I think that we are seeing that 
Now, Mance was that absolutely. He was everything that Free Folk were in my mind um, in the last edition. And, and now, actually, I, I think that Free Folk are in a much healthier place. Uh, you can talk about Mag being a powerful commander. You can talk about Varamir being a powerful choice. I still believe that uh, Mance himself is a very viable choice. And, uh, and Styers up there as well as a very high-ranked commander. Having four to pick from is a great selection for them and is where we wish every faction would be. I find myself uh, with Lannisters feeling that um, Kevin is a very, very obvious choice. And, um, and, and, and if you're looking just, just at the sheer power level of the faction, if you're just trying to do as well as you can, there are not many arguments in my mind about why Kevin shouldn't be one of your two commanders. Um, and, and we still see the same with Karl Drogo being very, very highly picked within Targaryens. And we're seeing Jon Snow being a very, very highly picked within, um, within the Night's Watch. And nearly all uh, Martell players, now they have a much smaller faction and set of commanders because they're still on their first hero box. But we see a huge gravitation towards Harmon Ulla. Now, all of those things are somewhat undeniable as issues within the faction. That's much, much smaller than if a single faction dominates the game. But uh, I, I think that that's our, our next big problem is uh, trying to bring lots of other commanders up to have the same kind of impact, the same kind of play rates. And, uh, and we'd have a much, much healthier, uh, much, much um, wider selection of commanders that would create much more exciting matchups. I agree. I think uh, I think also, as much as we've uh, all played this game so much, I feel like there's there's always a couple gems hiding in there that that don't get enough love. Um, it just comes down to really optimizing. Um, but I think for the most part, I would say m- most of the time, uh, it, we what we have we've discovered. We've discovered like the ins and outs of most things, but uh, for what we have right now, I think there are uh, there are a couple gems out there that it just depends on your play style because um, uh, I know there's some commanders that are not considered great and so people just don't take them. Um, they got like this perception of them as not good, but uh, I feel like there's a lot more to it. Play style um, and... Uh, and how you complement them. But going back to kind of what you were saying about Kevin kind of being like the obvious choice, would you say that he's he's so much of an obvious choice that really your second pick as commander is just to complement Kevin more so than it is to, um, you know, like for, like primary to complement Kevin than anything else? I would say for, for me right now, when I when I was building for this event, um, that that's very much the conclusion that I came to as an, as as my own in, you know my own individual choices, and I think that it's a, a conclusion that a lot of other people have come to. Um, I don't see so uh, it, it is quite interesting when you start to like, take a, a really fine detailed look at the stats um, of Always Winter. Kevin, um, he, he, he has nine picks out of uh, 10 Lannister players. Uh, so nearly every player plays Kevin in one of their two. Now, unlike a lot of other commanders, though, he wasn't that widely picked 
as as a double pairing you know um i i i'm still very pleased to say that because i've always had a problem with um when a kander is so dominant and so obviously um the only choice inside of a faction that um players as their two list pairing they pick pick the same commander twice and um, we've seen a lot of double john um for the night's watch uh, of course we used to see tons and tons of um of double mance um which are just two variations on the same list now i do think that actually you really really you know hit the nail on the head of where lannisters are right now which is kevin seems like the obvious first choice and the absolute go-to first choice but we at least see most lannister players right now picking a different commander to complement him he's not the only good option and he does still have his weaknesses now that comes down slightly to specifics of the list um particularly um kevin kevin's best command um like command pairing his best unit that he goes in that almost everybody kind of like came to the same conclusion um is of course a uh, kevin eden lannister crossbows now a commander in a ranged unit um is actually not wildly out there but uh, it's uh, not that normal a choice so i think that that maybe drives a little bit of the fact that people uh, want want to see a commander that's much more active a commander that's much more frontline um, and so that can drive them towards having a different pick with uh, not using kevin crossbows as their main focus of their force i think that kevin does actually push you towards a certain play style which, while being very strong and being very consistent, does have its downsides. And so people are trying to build for that weakness, build for that pairing. I know that that's what my mindset was going in. Um, and on that point, while we see almost every player bring one version of Kevin, we see that his play rate was really, really high. Um, you know, he, he was played 31 times by these nine players who'd brought him that means that and that that's not including the mirrors and i myself played multiple kevin mirror matches throughout the tournament so there's a whole range of those uh, more games that he played that aren't even encountered in that so these players are picking kevin as one of their two picks but they're playing him in the majority of his games and i think that that shows that they see him as sort of like their a list their normal list and the other one is sort of like a support list. That's definitely how I saw him. I built an all-rounder kind of Kevin list, which I would play into most. And then I built a very uh, specific, quite different roost-based list, which was built for very specific matchups. I uh, So something that surprised me about Always Winter was that um, Jon Snow was not as widely used as I thought he was going to be. Um, I thought that the new Night's Watch changes to uh, to the Ranger Vanguard, um, the changes to uh, Corrin specifically was something that I was very scared of. I thought that that was going to be in a, a list type and an arch archetype that was going to be very common, was going to match up, I was going to see a lot. And so I actually built um, a second list, which was very much tailored to my encounter the uh the threat that i perceived which was um a john high high mobility high high kind of uh i mean use of outflank is is totally new to the meta shall we say um at at, at like 
high level lists that's not been you've had to deal with in the past and it's something that I thought was actually a Kevin weakness. And so I built this Roos list, hopefully looking to cancel Corin's effects, um, kind of stop lots of the defensive cards from, uh, from the use of the Night's Watch deck. And so I built a very, very aggressive um, Roos Bolton Lannister list as a pairing for my Kevin. Now, it turned out that in the tournament, I, uh, I, I played into that Night's Watch list style uh, once in the event I played Roos it was ruthlessly effective ruthlessly efficient at the one job it had been built for uh, I, I, I dominated that game 10-0 um, it was uh, it, it was better than even I expected it would be but in the other five games, I always felt that Kevin was just a much, much more natural choice, um, a much more natural fit, as did every one of my Lannister opponents. And um, in, uh, you know, as I progressed towards the further end of the tournament, um, lots of other Lannister players were doing well at this event. Lannisters um, were actually the highest performing faction as a whole at Always Winter. Uh, with, with a 59% win rate, uh, so not not a wild win rate, not not crazily high, but still very high performing overall. Starting to meet these other Lannister players up at the top of the event, other high performing players, and I found myself playing near exact um, Lannister Kevin mirror matches. Uh, the the differences in the lists were very very small. Um, I mean, to the point where effectively like the changes were I was running new halberdiers and most of my opponents weren't was about the only difference. Uh, my opponents were still running uh, guardsmen or uh, poor fellows with champions of the faith, but we really can list on one hand the number of differences between our lists and these mirror matches are the thing that I think that we don't want to see so much. Like the, when the variety is so small, there is a small problem. Um, it's good that other things can win, that Lannisters aren't the go-to faction that were, that, that's totally dominant, but it's not great when it's one list that we see again and again and again. Um, but I think that everyone has naturally gravitated to a very, very similar style for Kevin. He, his list almost writes itself, in my opinion, and it's doing very, very well. Um, so I think that, yes, you're right the whole mentality behind competitive Lannisters right now is that list is known to perform well. What do you want to pair with it to support it? And like what, what specific counters to Kevin might you be scared of? So this leads me to a question. Um, we've been talking, or you've been talking about, I should say the uh, internal balance. Um, you mentioned, for example, uh, commanders, May, or, uh, free folk have up to four. Um, we're looking at some factions with one or two um, and how that can be a problem. In the past, we had the situation with the Flademen for years where they were always better than the internal faction's cavalry, so they always got taken. Mm. Now, your second list was Roos. Uh, mine was as well. Um, you already stated why you ran Roos, and I completely get it. And, you know, But I also saw Roos a lot. Um, I, I never faced him, but I saw him in a lot of lists over the weekend. And my question for you then is, are we saying, seeing the same problem with commanders now where this neutral commander is significantly better than whatever is in-house? And is that good or bad for the game? 
or is it simply, as you stated, a direct result of corn? For me, I, I think it is a direct result of corn. I think it's a really good question. Um, I haven't really thought about the, the prevalence of roost being a problem. Um, I, I think that I, th I think that the usage and importance of a flayed men has no secrets um, cannot be understated. You know, it is one of the most significant cards in the game. And when there is an effect as powerful as Corin's that you think is going to be widely used. Now, the, the difference is, you know, Corin's effect hasn't changed. What's changed is whether or not people expect to see him and expect their opponent to use him. And I had expected he would be widely used. Now, he wasn't actually as widely used or at least not widely used to success in the UK tournament, you know, right now. Um, as I expected him to be, though, I, you know, I believe at Adepticon, you know, we're there with a 1-2, a, a both undefeated players, double Night's Watch, double John inside of Night's Watch. So showing that that was something that I should like, rightly should have feared and is something to be feared right now. I think that for me, he is a reaction to Corin. Because of that, that interaction is so extreme. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, the ability to have Corin sacrifice himself and then not have any impact is um, is so large and and can be such a large important part of the Night's Watch game plan that you can effectively all but win a game on having that card in your hand at the right time. And it's a bit of a problem that that that. That, that interaction could could be that polarizing it can win win or lose you the game based on whether or not that will succeed um but uh yeah i hadn't i hadn't considered whether or not it was going to be an issue that many many factions would kind of gravitate towards roost bolton as uh as, as at least like their secondary pick um in a way it's interesting that um every faction outside of free folk um have access to this so so everybody does have a way to to counter uh corin um that that may well keep him in check as it were because because i think that he is uh i personally think that it was uh, a an odd change let's put it that way uh, i think it was an unnecessary reduction to his cost uh to bring him down by a point I, i've actually been a fan of Corrin at six points. I thought he was a very good uh, commander. Uh, sorry, a very good MCU at six. I had used him in events uh, to great success, but in the past, of course, that's slightly um, that's slightly affected by people don't expect you to pick Corrin. Therefore, his ability to shut down big plays uh, would come uh, as a big surprise. Now, I think that as people start to expect him to be in a lot of Night's Watch lists, I think you need to have a game plan for him. In, with your pairing, um, it, it that could be that you offer multiple threats at all times, which is, of course, what I was looking to do with my roost list. Not only am I just trying to rely entirely on having a flayed man that has no secrets to be able to stop Corin. That's a command card which I can't guarantee that I have in my hand in my hand at the right time. Um, also has the additional requirements of needing to have a token within long range to be able to utilize. The other thing that you can do is offer multiple threatening units 
whenever you want to try and uh, try and threaten and want to attack, if if you can do it in pairs, if you can do it doubly so and have some redundancy there, that's how I ended up with this list, which has double Knights of Casterly Rock. The idea being that if Corin does successfully sacrifice himself, he can only stop one of them in any given time, and therefore hopefully the other one will be able to come in and make the charge um even though the first one was pinned, even though the first one can't take actions. I think that Roos Bolton will see use and see success for as long as Corin is widely picked in the game. I think that he is a very significant counter to him. Whether or not people continue to perceive Corin to be a very important thing to counter that Night's Watch are a very important faction to try and think about when you create your pairing. Um, and more importantly, if Roos is your faction's best option to do that, is yet to be seen. It was the conclusion that I came to with Lannister. I don't know if I necessarily would make the same choice with every faction, but I, I think, you know, if I, if I thought off the top of my head of the next few factions, the other factions that I play... It really might be my choice for half of the factions. And yeah, I'd never really considered. But yes, we may have our flayed men issue return in that a neutral is now becoming one of the de facto most common picks inside of um, in, inside of every faction and that he's supplanting a lot of variety that we would like to see. I think that the change to Flayed Men has been very successful. It's only minor, but it's enough that I now, as a Lannister player, feel like I want to field Knights of Castle Rock. I, I, I'm, 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 and in the tournament, I was very, very pleased with that change. I thought that the Knights of Castle Rock performed very well for me. In, uh, in one of the Kevin mirrors, I played my opponent. One of the only differences that he had was he fielded Flayed Men instead. And I felt that my Knights of Castle Rock were much more... Um, dynamic and um, kind of powerful piece that threatened much more things. I think that uh, that can be true and can be said of uh, the Tully Cavaliers. I think that the um, the Starfall Knights uh, are a very interesting comparison to the Knights of Castle, um sorry, to the Flayed Men. And I think that it's much, much better that we see each of these factions wanting to use their in-faction option rather than a direct neutral comparison which we then see the same unit everywhere these three units while being similar as lance cavalry all have their own spins all have their own uniqueness to their faction we see embolden on the uh, tully cavaliers we see lannister supremacy on the knight of cassidy rock and we see the starfall knights being higher mobility lower armor and having bonuses into the flank, which means that we get to see each of those three factions lean more heavily into its own play style rather than them all deciding that, okay, well, what I use is I use flayed men and therefore what I'm using is sort of a grinding cavalry that wants to be engaged for a long period of time and relies on panic-based damage. It means that the Lannisters can go back to being, well, I'm based on panic-based damage because I use Lannister Supremacy and the Starks can fall back to, like, you know, I'm about synergy, synergy between my units. I'm about having better morale than most opponents that embolden, really bringing 
every unit around them down to very good morale profiles. And then we see our Martels being more about movement, more about gaining those flanks. And those specializations within the factions are what make these matchups more interesting. And so that's a big improvement. And like you say, if what we see is every faction now lean into Ruth Bolton as a way to have hard control, to have hard counter, to have cancellations of effects, because there is a total fear of how powerful that effect will be and how common you will see that effect, that, that, is, a, that, that is a step in slightly the wrong direction and uh, something I hadn't thought about. So, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, Craig. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, neutrals are always that, uh, you know, that curveball. I'm sure, I mean, I don't know for a fact, but I'm, I'm willing to put money on it that um, that's why we just don't see neutrals come out very often, uh, especially like hero boxes or attachment boxes or this or that. Um, just the internal balance of what, neutrals uh represent um it just you you run the risk of taking away a a faction's identity or not taking it away but just making it undesirable uh and i think that's um that's kind of one of the tricky parts that uh the simon has to try to work around yeah i, I think that the implementations of neutrals um, it is very difficult and very tricky um, in the way that they've done it in the game at the moment. Um, I think that the community, generally speaking, um, like the, the natural solution that a lot of people are talking, I've always talked about for many years is that um, the 50% the neutral allowance has always just seemed, um, uh, seemed too generous, seemed too high effectively. Um, and means that there's no real... Um, there's not picking one neutral unit over another. It's very unlikely that you, you don't get to your 50% neutral allowance um, and then think, oh God, I, I can't even, I can't fit another neutral unit in. That 20 points can easily allow you to have multiple neutral units and neutral NCUs all together. Um, and, and so there's no real restrictions there, which then means that the neutral faction itself finds it very hard to have a unique identity because you can play a near neutral faction inside of any other faction if you just want to have its faction deck. You could still put mostly neutral units on the board and just have a wider selection of units. So I think that that's um, a natural issue which has created a lot of problems in how can you um, uniquely um, kind of differentiate the neutrals as their own faction. Of course, that point limit doesn't affect this problem of uh, the commander choice, which doesn't have any impact um, on that neutral limit. And as you say, it, it makes releasing neutral units, no matter what the neutral limit is, a really difficult process because you have to consider what their synergies will be and what their, shall we say, worst case scenario is inside of every single faction. You don't want to ever create pairings inside of neutral, which now will interact with a particular way with a certain commando, with a certain NCU, or with a certain card within somebody else's deck 
which is now incredibly powerful. And that was until the recent changes, um, you know, what one of my least preferred things about um, the way flayed men worked inside of a lot of other factions, which is they would actually synergize better with the deck a lot of the time. For example, I believe that old flayed men synergized better with the Lannister deck than Knights of Castle Rock did, where the uh, Lannister deck has a lot of cards to support the panic damage that they produce, whereas it doesn't have a lot of cards to support the like direct sundering lance damage that um, Knights of Castle Rock produce. And so you actually end up with non-faction-specific units having better synergy than the units that you think that should be staples of your faction that really represent your faction as well as possible. And so, uh, and, I, and I've always had a bit of a problem with that. You know, one of the reasons why I've shied away from using Lannisters, um, you know, in pretty much the whole of uh, season one was that I felt that the most competitive Lannister lists, they didn't look like Lannisters. They had a lot of poor fellows in them. Um, then being supported by Bolton flayed men, um, you then just have a Lannister commander and a Lannister deck and a single, shall we say, like real Lannister unit. Maybe that's Lannister crossbows. Maybe that's, you know, uh, Lannister guardsmen or red cloaks or something like that. You have one single unit that really looks and represents Lannisters to me in my mind. And everything else is a mishmash of things that aren't really Lannister. Whereas right now I was brought back to the faction and attracted to play the faction because when I try to write a good synergistic competitive list, while that's not the only thing that, uh, you know, like I, I can play a list and, and, and it doesn't have to be the very top tier of everything. I don't want to feel like I'm making bad choices while picking things that feel right to me in the faction. And so now I'm able to pick Lannister Halberdiers, Lannister Crossbow and Knights of Castle Rock and feel like they're all good choices that I haven't made a bad choice by trying to bring those units to the table. And so I feel much, much better about the army. I feel I enjoy Lannisters as Lannisters more. Um, and I think that that's always going to be the neutral problem. Neutrals is always going to muddy that waters of whether or not a faction has its own identity and whether or not it has the look and feel that you want it to have. Um, I, there, there are many, many solutions of how, Lannis, uh, how neutrals could be radically changed, how the game rules could be radically changed in some kind of second edition to be, to be a better option. I, I, I have no idea where they come, come from, and, and, I, and I keep repeating them, so I guess this is probably where they come from and stuff like that. But there, there are rumors that House Bolton may become its own faction outside of the way neutrals are. And, and, and if that is true, I, I hope that that will be a, a shift in the way neutrals are ruled. It will be actually a change. I would love for House Bolton to become a full faction and neutrals to be treated in a much different way. Um, I would personally like for a neutral unit to list the factions that it can be used in rather than them having total complete use across all. Um, you know, that would be simply put like Bolton's would would fight for either neutrals, Boltons, shall we say, um, Lannisters and Starks. And then when they 
balance Bolton units. They only have to consider them inside of those three factions. You don't have to now consider the combinations that they might have with eight other factions and how any of those might create problems. I think it will make things much, much easier and it will make it much more thematic. Um, so that, that, that's what I hope for. But of course, I'm sure that's not what everybody wants. I'm sure there are some, some neutral diehards out there or some people who they, they, they have, they have, they have a Baratheon army and, and, and they currently field lots of Bolton units. And if the rules suddenly changed and said that they couldn't use any of their Bolton units anymore, I can see that that would be a big problem. So no, no solution will be perfect. Um, and I, I, but I think that neutrals would need a radical change. Otherwise, there'll always be a bit of a pervasive issue about neutrals either being just bad chapters or just good choices for everybody to take. And it looks like we've moved in a direction that uh, Roose Bolton is just a good choice for a lot of factions right now as their commander, because his direct counter to what people are currently scared of is very, very obvious. Yeah, and I agree with pretty much everything you said. And I'll be the first to say that I have a ton of uh, of neutrals that I have painted up in uh, in the color scheme of particular factions I have, and uh, I would still be on board with kind of what you're saying. And I think that would just be a win-win for everyone once you know people kind of got over that first you know initial shock of the change of making you know neutrals be only usable in the factions that made sense or internally. Um, for example, I have a um, a Bolton uh, Bastards Girl custom unit where all the dogs are red vipers and they're to go with my Oberyn commander. Um, it would kind of suck if I would no longer be able to technically use that unit, but... Um, I'm always on the fence or on the uh, in the position that whatever is best for the game I want, even if it may hurt uh, something I'm currently playing or liking a lot. Um, you know, I mean, maybe it's easy for me to say because I play every faction, uh, and so if they're going to nerf something into oblivion, let's say, or make something way too good that I would never want to bring it to my local. I have lots of options, so maybe, you know, to just kind of point out that maybe I I have, um, I'm not in the same situation that some people are, where maybe they only have one faction. But uh, regardless, I'm I'm always going to advocate, be an advocate for whatever's going to make the game more fair. Uh, regardless, uh, let's say for example, <clears throat> uh, what was I just playing? I was playing a faction, we'll just say that. I was playing a faction with something that I find to be way too strong, and I did that thing, like it was like a combo, and my opponent kind of shakes their head, and I go, yeah, that's it's really silly. Uh, and I point out, like, in my own games, when something is like, this, this is a little too good, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I would be more than happy to see things that even if I'm currently using, uh, get nerfs. I, I think that um, Bolton Bastard Girls are, are 
uh, you know, I've seen I've seen a lot of people, you know, really adapt them to uh, to different factions because, um, you know, they're, they're an incredibly thematic unit. They're uh, they're also a very exciting unit to play. Um, they are very they can add a very aggressive dynamic to factions that don't have it, or even factions that are very dynamic and aggressive. Um, they can just be a very fun unit, um, and and yet they're not wildly perceived as like not not quite in the same way that flayed men were so ubiquitously everywhere flayed men are um boxer girls are a much more uh kind of like specialized tech piece it's more like whether or not they combine with the commander but people i've seen lots of people go you know really all in on um you know converting them to be very specific to the faction that they use and that and that of course would be a loss um if if suddenly you know bottom bastard girls were to now become limited to only a few, a few factions. But um, I, I think that they've shown in the past that they are open to doing something slightly different. I, I don't think that they went far enough um, because because it really like the... I, I thought that they opened the door to the idea that neutrals might become more limited or more exclusive when they started bringing out Targaryen Stormcrow units. You know, and yet these units are identical. They have the same rules outside of Dario, of course. Uh, Dario Naharis, um, of course, actually has a different rule inside of Targaryens where he brings his card, which he swaps with the card in the deck. Now, it's actually just unfortunate that I think that most people perceive the neutral version of Dario to be the better choice. And it's weird that you can still pick the neutral version of Dario instead of the Targaryen version of Dario while playing Targaryen. So uh, that's, um, you know, not quite implemented in the way that uh, it otherwise could have been. But showing that you have um, options, that you can have Stormcrow mercenaries be a neutral unit, but that you can also have them be a Targaryen unit. Now, I think that they should have had different or slightly improved rules when they were used by one or the other. Now, you can implement the same kind of things such that one of the problems that neutrals currently have is that if you give neutrals a good unit in any slot, be that heavy cavalry, be that cheap aggressive infantry, be that defensive infantry, um, in any point range or any kind of category, if you give them the best option for that slot, then everybody will start using that as their de facto piece. But if you don't give them good options in any slot, then how will the neutrals ever be a good faction in their own right as long as the neutral allowance remains so high? Now, one of the really simple solutions to that is to have dual profiles. And I really thought that that was a direction that we were going to go in when we start to see Targaryen versions of Stormcrow Mercenaries and neutral variants of versions of Stormcrow Mercenaries. Now, if every neutral unit had a profile when used by not neutrals and then a maybe an additional rule from profile a different unit card a different set of anything really some kind of bonus when used either in the neutral faction or possibly just when used with a neutral commander um then we'd start to see the faction um kind of like have its own identity have its own ability to be perceived as uh, powerful in its own right while not just becoming 
a unit that's utilized by everybody being entirely dominant across the whole game so that would be a big improvement i think but um you know the new the neutrals it's a it, it, it's 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 not destroying this game. It's not it's not the biggest problem because they're generally perceived as not very powerful. Things being not powerful is a much smaller issue than when things are wildly too powerful. If one thing is not powerful enough, then eight other things, eight other factions are good. But if one powerful one faction is too powerful, then all other eight are by comparison bad um so you know the 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 maligned problems that neutrals have had for many years um are low down the order of things that like i i think that the game and and balance should kind of fix but uh it it is a problem and i I think that it's not an easy easy solution to kind of come to um will roos will roos come to dominate the game over the next season i hope not um, I hope I hope that he remains a choice for a lot of people that he could be taken. Uh, I think that he's a very good choice, uh, but I hope that he doesn't become the secondary commander in every every faction um, that he's not widely used everywhere. Because the more variety we have, more factions can lean on their own individual identities. Just the the more interesting the the whole game and the whole meta, the whole things that you can expect to see at a tournament, meeting new players at a tournament, at an event, and they're using lists and commanders that you've never played against is one of the most exciting things about, you know, being a competitive player, you know, playing people outside of your local play group because people inside of any given you know, closed, closed play group will tend towards the same kind of lists, will tend towards the same kind of style of play. And if more list varieties, more list types and more different commanders and more different play styles can all be worthwhile and viable at a high level, then um, you'll just end up with far more exciting tournaments and uh, far more interesting gameplay. I agree, and um, to kind of uh, to roll it back into the tournaments, you were saying uh, kind of just seeing a, a bigger um, spread of uh, factions. It looks, you know, more so I would say uh, um, always winter, but uh, still kind of both um, tournaments had a decent spread. Uh, I would I would say the only th- uh, only disappointing thing would be um, the amount of Baratheon and the lack of free folk for Adepticon. Um, but otherwise, I mean, everything else is still pretty close. But especially for always winter, obviously neutrals are almost always going to be uh, a low uh, representation. And then, as you mentioned, Martells aren't officially released. Uh, or I should say, I shouldn't put it that way. They're not, like, officially... Uh, widely available. I haven't made it to our shores uh, yet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's why that number is low. Uh, otherwise, I mean, everything else, is, the spread is really, uh, really even. The only thing that was kind of uh, a low pr- uh, showing was the Greyjoys. Um, and not even by like a ton, you know, because 
some other factions only had 10, 12%, which is only a couple, mm-hmm. a handful more people. So I think that's a, a sign of a healthy uh, um, competitive scene. Uh, nothing's ever going to be perfect, but it's always nice to kind of see everything represented uh, at least a little bit. And even if we go to, again, a little more so um, uh, always winter, but if you go to the win rates, uh, the spread from Lannisters at the most was 59 and neutrals at the least with 40, that's only a 19% spread of a win percentage between factions. Uh, I think that indicates a, a pretty decent internal balance, um, at least from the small sample size, obviously. Uh, yeah, in, in, in any given event, um, of course, like a few individuals can make quite a large impact, uh, particularly once you get down to like the specifics of a commander, um, you know, maybe a, a not very popular commander may only be played by one player and therefore the stats of that commander represent that player and that player's performance and it can come down to things as small as a dice roll that may or may not have changed that um, changed that game. But across these events, once they get decent size you know we are we are talking you know significantly over 32 people at both events which you know for me 32 is is really that point at which we start saying like we're seeing a really wide selection of players here we're we're starting to get away from um any individual kind of just representing the faction mostly outside of a few factions which maybe only have one pick but when we see the factions falling inside of that 60 to 40 percent win rate that's where we would like to see um you know perfect perfect ideal world we'll go even closer we'll be talking about like them being between a a a 45 and a 55 um but uh you know in 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 these smaller events i think or you know like not smaller events but these when we look at individual events rather than we start like bringing together all the different events that were run this week, run this month. Uh, 60-40 is really, really a a great position for us to be in balance-wise. If if the odd faction, you know, is is, is below that when very lowly represented, you know, Adepticon sees a single neutral player um, and the faction going uh, 33% win rate, but what's what's interesting about that is that that's a three three and one. If that's just a three and two, it's a 66% win rate. So the faction is, um, you know, not really a statistic at that point. So it, it can kind of be discounted. That 60-40 is a, a really good place for us to be in. And for it to be repeated across both bent events is great. Um, one of the only things that really stood out, you know, is outside of the Kevin Lannister plate at uh, Always Winter, where he was very highly played, um, you know, by a significant margin, he was almost twice as popular as the next biggest commander. And he's four times, five times more popular than most commanders. So, you know, he really is sticking out as uh, as, as a very important kind of um, obvious choice for a lot of players here. We're thinking. Um, and, and he's coming in with that 61% win rate at Always Winter, which is high, but Despite the fact that Jon Snow and Night's Watch uh, weren't actually on the top tables at Always Winter, he did still perform very, very well at the event with a 71% win rate, um, showing that Jon was something to be feared at that event, even if 
he didn't quite make it to the final and the top table. And that is one of the only results which was really mirrored across the two events. Uh, John Snow was also, not only did he win, um, win and come second, both players undefeated at Adepticon, um, he was popular at both events, uh, high play rate at both events, and he then got a 73% win rate at, uh, at Adepticon, which unsurprising when he, he goes and gets first and second, uh, both players playing double John, uh, but it is starting to look like a little bit of a trend at that point. But at the same time... That, the same, that was my fault, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, I mean, I haven't, I haven't watched the game back, but uh, is, is it as close as it sounds, Craig? Uh, yeah, Brett and I will probably talk about it later on another podcast, so I won't go too deep into it. Um, I had an early lead, and then at the end, things kind of fell apart for me, and he was able to tie it up, and then we called it, and that was that. I I think that, um, the thing that I've always said about Night's Watches is, um, you know, even, even, even way back in, uh, the days of Othel's, um, dominance and Othel crossbows being, uh, like the thing to beat, um, as the game goes on, the Valkanic, as it currently is, uh, is always going to start to favor favor Night's Watch. If, if Night's Watch can just really start to make it a slugfest, really start to make it, um, you know, a lot of engagements and a lot of trading, uh, they do very, very well out of that style. So, um, so I think that that's something that you always have to look to avoid uh, in the in the Night's Watch matchup. I, I think that they're uh, they're a very unique faction in their playstyle right now. I think that they are very very mobile um, and and very interesting. And I, and I was surprised actually that they didn't do better at Always Winter and that they weren't more widely selected. Uh, as I say, like you know, I was very I was very scared of what they they might be able to achieve. Even though John seems to be our standout performer across the two events, um, you know, like the the one thing that was more consistent. We see really good representation of lots of factions up at the top of both tournaments. You know, when we look more widely at the top five, the top eight, something like that, you know, at always winter, the top five is is five different factions. Now, that's a big improvement on the days where we were seeing, um, you know, Mance take first, second and third at events. Uh, always winter is Lannisters, Targaryens, Free Folk, Baratheon, and Night's Watch. Sixth place is uh, is a Targaryen for the second time, and that that's the first time we see that um, that repeat of a faction up at the top of the of the rankings. And outside of you know Night's Watch coming first and second, we then see Martell, Lannister, Baratheon um, filling out the rest of the top five at Adepticon. And I think that the game really is in a place where the outlook of a faction is very much determined by the player and the skill that they have with it. Um, and, and and I think that's really, really positive. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I think that the games are a really healthy sign for the future of season one, uh, sorry, season two, as we are in now. Uh, and, and, and I think that um, I, I'm really looking forward to uh, when we, get to more big cons this year, see if anybody kind of um, 
starts if we start to see that Night's Watch be more successful in Europe, whether or not we see the, the uses of Lannister move over into the US. Um, and I still remain very excited for when Martels will make a bigger impact over in Europe uh, once they become more widely used and once uh, those lists get even a bit more refined. I, I'm, I'm still very excited for that faction. So, uh, Craig, uh, I'm not sure if you how much time you have left, but if you wanna, uh, if you want, you can kind of talk about your experience. Uh, I know we'll do another show where we deep dive into like your games, but just your overall like thoughts on the the convention itself and uh, what you saw uh, as far as like turnout and whatnot. Uh, of factions and number of players. Okay, so I'll start with uh, number of players. Um, you guys mentioned that at the very beginning of the show, but not only was LVO and Adepticon larger than we've ever had before, Adepticon, well, both, both tournaments doubled or nearly doubled in size in the course of 12 months. So I think that bodes really well for the game. I mean, obviously you don't want it to go the other way. But I was really excited to see that. Um, I was a little happy for Brett, too. I mean, I would have liked to have beaten him, but at the same time, he got to win the largest U.S. event, so now no one can make fun of him for winning 20-person uh, events. <laughs> but, um, Unfortunately. That, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm salty. But anyway, <laughs> no, it was it was a good game. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I ended up playing against John three times in five games. And uh, Brett was the only one able to pull it off. And there was a point in the game where I felt like, you know, I'm part of my problem was that uh, we've been playing really fast games all day because, you know, we're trying to get five rounds in in one day, which is absolutely brutal. So we probably sound like assholes on the on the chat. But, um, you know, I'm still in, okay, this is a fast game. This is a 90-minute game mode. And I should have been thinking this is the last round. We're going to go six rounds. And so I uh, part of my problem was I played to win a 90-minute round game, and which was dumb. I mean, why why would I do that? It's the last round. But all part of being tired. I mean, other than that, though, I have to give a shout-out to Chris, uh, Sunday Slaughter, and Stovetop, and Bob for the filming that they did and the filming they've been doing at U.S. events. And it's great to see the same thing happening over in the U.K. at U.K. events. Um, so, yeah, it was... It was one of, the, one of the best events I've been at. As far as the con goes, we got stuck in a basement in a different hotel than the actual con, and I could not have been happier about it because last year we were stuck in a corner in the same room as the 40K players, and no disrespect to them whatsoever. But in a gaming convention, in a room full of 500 people standing shoulder to shoulder, you sweat. Everybody sweats. And they had big fans on one end of the room, and we were upwind of the entire room for those fans. Um, we were also camped right by the bathroom. So the entire day, people were walking through us to get to the bathrooms. Uh, concessions were right there, too. Same story. This year, we kind of had our own little area. I think in our, uh, Lord of the Rings was down there, too. But, you know, other than that, like, it's just us in this basement, easy access to bathrooms. 
Um, not a lot of people to walk through, not a lot of people walking through us. Easy access to food right upstairs without half hour, 45 minute lines or whatever it is in the convention hall. So overall, I was actually kind of stoked about that. So yeah, it's a good experience overall. I'm glad to see it growing. Yeah, I think um, I, th- I think that the growth of the US scene has been really, really positive. Um, I hope that um, like the the, the frontline events um, can hopefully start to grow in in their size. Obviously, they are you know culminated. They they, they cap off with LVO, um, but uh, and, and so we're sort of like in the start of that season um, of of those frontline events and that new pairing with Simon, I hope that that becomes um, like a really positive thing for the, the, the wider U S uh, organized play scene. Uh, I hadn't actually realized uh, Craig that you'd uh, played the three night's watch players. I thought it was interesting that, you know, you, so you took, um, you took Bruce Bolton, right. And, and was he, specifically in your mind to counter night's watch because when i look at your results um all five games you end up playing Harmon despite having played into night's watch multiple times did it did, did the list not quite match up the way you wanted or uh, or were you just finding a lot of success with harmonola and uh, and and how did you find night's watch as a whole under that time pressure because so many aspects about night's watch are going to do better as the rounds go longer as we get into rounds four five and six did you find that they translated to the tournament shall we say the real tournament kind of scene as opposed to you know tts events generally speaking people have have the ability to take the game to its conclusion do you feel like they translated well enough and that you think that that's not going to be an issue going forward uh there's a lot to unpack in that question all those questions. So, yes and no. I'll start with the list situation. Um, when I designed my roost list, and when I say I designed, um, Brett, Brett had a hand in that list too, or that list to give him some credit. But um, it was it was to counter John. It was also to counter uh, uh, Free Folk, and then I knew I'd never have activations on them, so they could just sit there and wait the round, and then it'd kill me at the end of the round. You, you know how that, all that works, but. I, I designed the list to be so punishing when they attack me and mm. that they can't attack me. So it was more for Free Folk than Night's Watch. Night's Watch is fast enough to outmaneuver it. Free Folk kind of is too, but they don't get all the free shots. Um, so they have to come in and attack melee to actually do anything. Um, I've, I've played it into Free Folk before and had quite a bit of success with it, even though on paper it doesn't look that great. But the uh, reason I ended up with my main list was because of outflank, or why I stuck with it in those situations, was double cav and outflank and mm-hmm. a ridiculous amount of healing. So Tycho, all three games turned out very different. Um, to move into your next question about how they did throughout. Just, just quickly first, on, uh, I guess I guess, yeah. I guess it's um, pertinent to the, the question about the later rounds, but... Um, now I'm looking at them specifically. You didn't use uh, Doran NCU in either list. Is that is that because of like not being able to make it to the later rounds, or are you just not a fan of him? Uh, both. I, I can both. see where okay. he has value, especially in the free folk. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm playing four rounds. What good is he? <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. want value. Um, but um, 
my first game against uh, Night's Watch didn't have Corrin. He kind of, his army got destroyed. He just tell me his army got destroyed by his pets like the day before Adepticon, so he had to borrow something. So he had what he borrowed, which actually yeah. wasn't a bad list, but it wasn't like the end-all, be-all of Night's Watch list. And he came in hyper-aggressive, and with Martell's, I was just able to tank the shots and, you know, reverse it on him. Um, my next one, though, was against Bob. And everyone knows who Bob is and how good of a player Bob is. Um, this is where, so it was Clash of Kings, which actually made it really tempting for me to take um, Bruce because he was in a combat unit where Uller was not. Mm-hmm. But my thought was, okay, the only way I stop Corn is if I draw a card. If I don't draw a card in time, then I lose, period. Yep. So my my other thought was, well, I, I know how the how how they use corn. You know, usually top around, they go first set round, pop corn, burn the watches ended, get a whole bunch of attacks, and then it's my turn. You know, that shenanigans. So, to me, it was kind of obvious when it was going to happen, because with the time limit, there's only two rounds that play can happen in, unless they do it mid round, which my opponents rarely do. So with that in mind. I knew, well, he goes first next round. I'm going to back away from him, so I'm not engaged, so he can't double tap with his uh, with his hunters. And yeah. then I had Tycho. I was saving Tycho. So, so our next round, he goes, I declare that I'm going to pop corn. I said, cool, I pop Tycho. And so he goes, oh, crap. He shoots me, burns his card, does, what, six wounds to me. I heal five of them back, and now it's his turn. He's lost corn and done nothing. Yeah, that's um, was really interesting it. interaction. Yeah, that I hadn't really thought about that. As long as you're ready for it, and as long as you're astute enough to understand the the timing of how the sacrifice of Corin will result in an attack, which then leaves open a single start of turn trigger. As long as you've declared it, um, that use of Tycho, yeah, as 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 a direct counter a different direct counter to, to core and had something, not something that I'd consider myself. So yeah, that's, um, I, I, I might have to steal that one myself. Yeah. <laughs> that was, that was the entire purpose of having him in my list. That, that one interaction. Um, and it worked. He ended up overextended. He did eventually kill the outriders he was targeting. It took him around and a half and three units to do it because I was just dumping healing into him. Yeah. And although at the time he had a very narrow lead, um, he was overextended. And I was able to take advantage. I killed Ghost with Uller, which was two points. And I contested an objective, ended up with a two or uh, one point win, I think. And then against Brett, I mean, he kind of, you know, everyone knows how good Brett is, too. Um, Mad. I, I want, <laughs> he's terrible. I wanted to uh, I wanted to bait him into using Corrin. So mm. I had Battle Endurance in my hand. All tournament, I've been putting Battle Endurance on, and this is going to sound nuts, but I've been putting it on Outriders, just riding around the flank and then going right down the line. I ended up 105 destroyed points, I think, throughout the tournament. Yep. But um, <laughs> I wanted to bait. I wanted to make him pop it on the Flayed Men, and I figured, well, the Flayed Men will tank the, tank the hits with Korn, or with Tycho and everything else. I'll be fine. I, he, you know, he had vulnerable tokens on me, so I'm not going to whine and say my dice are shit. 
my dice were good, my rerolls were utter shit. Um, I had I had uh, bombarded him with weekend tokens. Um, like okay, pop the weekend. And I just, uh, well, I did hit you eight times, but now I only hit you seven. Like, oh, okay, weekend didn't do anything. Um, all right, I block all but one. Um, pop the vulnerable. All right, well, I'm still saving on threes. Um, well, I failed them all. Then I failed panic tests, and they didn't last as long as I thought they should have. So I gambled and lost. But I put battle endurance on the flayed men to make him think that, oh, if I don't kill that that unit, they're gonna <laughs> going to wipe me out. Um, mm-hmm. On the other end of the table, I was playing, kind of playing the scenario, so I was outscoring him. And my thought simply was, he goes after the flayed men, I score points, I win either on time or at the end of the game. Well, I, I didn't last. If I had lasted another one or two attacks with the flayed men, I think I'd probably get him, but maybe not. <laughs> so, I mean, e- even at the end, had I, pa- I failed a panic test at the end of round five. Um, it cost me three wounds, and had I not lost those three wounds, there's a decent chance that that one unit kills John and Vanguard by itself. As it mm. was, I was lucky to not be tabled. So, so um, outside of um, you, you're not running Doran, so that's like one of the three major kind of like late of game, late of game effects. Uh, but Correct. there is, of course, rising temperatures. And as you mentioned, battle endurance, which are, yep. you know, two real impactful things that need or don't need, but the longer the game goes, the better the effect they're going to be, specifically like the, the later the round you get to. Um, how, how, how did you find that across the whole game? You know, you're talking about how the final you got to the fifth round there, which, which actually surprises me, um, you know. Six. We, we, uh, we that, played that, the six there. Okay, yeah. So, so, so you managed to take that final to the whole way, but you mentioned much earlier that you know some of your very early games only got, got to round two, right? Um, do do you feel like do do you feel like Martels have an issue with round timings and have an issue with tournament play in that regard? Uh, no, I don't. If you play them right, if you bring Doran, then yeah, you've got that problem. Mm. Um, if you so you mentioned rising temps, and yes, it gets better as the game goes. But as you've said countless times on your podcasts, uh, most games are decided by round four anyway. Well, round four, sure. rising temps is doing everything it needs to do. Yeah. Uh, usually it's the round three effects that I need anyway. Um, oftentimes, uh, Martel's biggest weakness is range. So oftentimes yeah. I throw it on your range unit just to force the negative one to hit. Um, if I can, because if you're weakened and hitting on fours or fives, then your range unit is no longer my weakness. Um, battle endurance, yeah, the, right the two biggest abilities is the rerolls and the sundering. Everything else, you know, take it or leave it. They're, they're great, but rerolls and sundering are usually enough. So. Did, did I, I see both of your lists? You ran Flayed Man. Um, did did you give much thought to the Starfall Knights? Um, I I'm I'm interested to I, I'm interested in Martels in general um, <coughs> as, as a faction that I've barely played into or, or or played as I've never played as Martels yet myself. Um, and and as I said much earlier, I'm coming to have a much 
like better appreciation for Knights of Castle Rock and Tully Cavaliers as options? Do you think that the Starfall, just because of their four save, like um, have have a very different purpose to the Flayed Men? Or do you think that the Flayed Men are just better and there's very few cases where you would ever pick Starfall Knights? No, I think the Starfall Knights as a unit are more attractive and they're better. Um, you know, the, the firepower, especially in a faction that mostly hits on fours and doesn't have a lot of sundering or anything else, it's there's something to be said for them. Uh, speed six, movement six, is fantastic on Lance Cav. Um, the reason I went with Flayed Men is because I wanted to sustain. Um, oftentimes mm-hmm. when I play games, I'm not playing against my opponent's list. I'm playing against my opponent. So with all that healing stacked in that list, and then you add in the three-up save on the Flayed Men, the odds of you killing anything are extremely low. And as soon as you think you've got something killed, it's back up to full strength, and it just crushes your will. And that was the whole point of of the Flayed Men over the four-up save Starfall Knights. It, the the one game uh, I so I played Martels in the very first game uh, that I played mm-hmm. and my opponent used Flayed Men. Um, his list um, it's not wildly dissimilar to yours in style. Also Royal Guards. Um, again, that MCU setup, which I, I think is very powerful. I think that Oberon and Elyria uh, are um, both both very useful pieces there, and I do think that they they pair very well with the Flayed Men. So my opponent didn't use them. Um, particularly aggressively he actually used them very defensively and what he did was he allowed me to charge his flayed men um using you know as you say that their real sustain capabilities particularly um they're a nightmare to kill when they have oberon on them um and i think that yeah their, their three plus save really shines in that position there where you're throwing out attacks and charges onto this unit Ilaria sand is stripping tokens off the flayed men that you're trying to generate to make a powerful attack while also throwing back um you know weakens all over you you're making a charge cards come out like superior positioning and uh, and suddenly what you thought was going to be an amazing lunch charge now ends up doing more hits back to you from oberon than you actually kind of like get wounds on your opponent and yeah i think that that is um a very interesting style for them combines particularly well with Harmon Ulla um, and his uh, and his supply aid and not only his supply aid but uh, that battle endurance on them is crazily scary especially if you consider um, a set for charge or uh, is that what the card's called I forget the, the one that will yeah, allow yeah. them to attack first um, yeah. I think that when all of those things combine um, those flayed men can com- become an absolute nightmare um, as, as always though you know uh, it's good that they're not so widely used and it's also good that they've been toned down a little bit because that's still an incredibly powerful combination within martels um it would be nice if that had a real place on a martel unit um but i i do i do agree that i think that they're two different very very different options right now in uh, in the starfall knights and the flayed men and and hopefully they'll both find wide wide use inside of martels rather than um people largely gravitating towards the flayed men because they do feel like the more natural choice right now but it feels mostly like they're the more natural combination with harman ulla 
who is their yep. go-to commander. Right. If you're running Obara or some of the other commanders, then the Starfall Knights really shine instead. So it really comes down to the play style you're going for. Um, you mentioned that your opponent let you charge, and that's exactly what I did. I think there's maybe one game in which I initiated combat. Mm. The rest, I just kind of moved up to mid-table and waited patiently. So, yeah, I mean, and that, that's how I play it. You come to me, you beat your head on the wall, and then I just push you over. That's kind of kind of how I did it for the most part. Which I think when I finally get on Martel's, uh, I'll have a lot of fun. That's, uh... Oh, they're they're a blast! It's really goofy what you can do with them. Agreed. I uh, they are a headache to play though, at least for me. I I took a small break after they came out. I played them so much that it just sometimes it was mentally exhausting uh, playing like a whole even just casual tournament with them. Uh, but. Uh, I had kind of enough of a hiatus that I didn't mind bringing them to Adepticon. Because um, I thought about bring, uh, bringing some other stuff. thought about, you know, Greyjoys, uh, even Free Folk, uh, a couple other options. Even thought, you know, maybe this will be my reason to paint up my nice watch. Uh, but ultimately, I just wanted to show off my uh, Oberyn and Bastard Girls uh, unit. And that was kind of the deciding factor, but I chose, I decided that so last minute that I think I already mentioned, but I only had two, uh, three of like eight units painted, um, and then painted the other five, like all in the span of like six days. That's rough. <laughs> I, uh, I really yeah. enjoyed, um, this is, this is the first tournament that I've played at. Um, in quite a long time, actually, um, with 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 my own army, my own you know, like my own models, um, really, like I mean, like so, I, I was at French Nationals, uh, but uh, but but I but I used somebody else's army for that. Um, before that, I, I was at Gen Con and I was borrowing an army for, for that. Uh, it, it really has been almost an entire year since um, I took my own army to a to a to a tournament, um, and I'd forgotten how much uh, you know I I enjoy the wider hobby aspect of getting my army together and um, you know like fixing it. it you know it, it's been it's been it's been deteriorating uh, over the past year you know model models snap things uh lances break uh here and there so uh so i in the in the build up for the week uh luckily you know my my lannisters are, are are an army that i painted years ago uh when i had the time and uh, spent a lot of time on but it's still nice to be able to um you know i i needed to paint kevin so i, I I enjoyed being able to spend some time knowing that I had this one week build up and I only need, had this one model that really needs to be painted, painted Kevin, added him to the army, uh, converted a few models uh, who'd snapped and broken, uh, kind of fixed them back up, got my army into tip top condition, uh, glued a lot of uh, magnets back onto models. And, uh, and I've forgotten how, how, how good I, I feel about that fuller hobby aspect. And that that's why, you know, outside of being in lockdown, I, I moved away from TTS a long time ago myself. Um, I, I really like to see fully painted armies. I really like to put the effort into, you know, being proud of my army on the table. 
And um, yeah, I was uh, I I'd forgotten how, how much of that aspect of a tournament tournament was important to me, mostly because the last few tournaments that I've been to, I've not been able to really field my own army or, or for whatever various reasons I've been using other people's models. So um, yeah, I, I, I'm really getting back into the swing of um, enjoying the wider kind of tournament GT experience. And so uh, yeah, I'm feeling. Um, really good about the game at the moment uh from that aspect and uh and and that lots of people are getting differing results uh with different factions if not different list builds uh really you know makes me excited to try some new things and um and and, and find out what's possible right now yeah it's funny you guys uh or that you had asked uh craig the question about the starfall knights um i uh, my original Oberyn list was actually Oberyn Ambassador Scrolls, um, Vipers with Dario, uh, Dervishes with um, Bronn, another Dervish, uh, a uh, Spearman, and uh, I think that's it. All right, so one, two, three, four. Yeah, that's five units. Uh, and then I ran uh, Ilara and... Uh, Littlefinger. Well, I was so strapped for time that I actually ran out of time, and I couldn't finish the Vipers. So rather than run a unit that was only like 25% painted, uh, I was like, okay, well, I got to run something that I have that's already painted, preferably not neutrals, just because I have a uh, specific color scheme for my neutrals. Um, mm. And then anytime I have like a a dedicated neutral unit for tournaments. I'll paint a whole new unit, similar to, like, my Bastard Scrolls. Anyway, so I was like, well, I only have one more unit uh, that is, like, 90% done, and that was a Starfall Knight. So I dropped the Vipers, which then meant I needed two more points, which, unfortunately, I took out Dario and Braun, and so... They uh, they made it into my Oberyn list. What was it? My loss against uh, Fang, um, they did almost absolutely nothing because that's the unit he decided to hit with Tywin uh, right. NCU. Yeah. And But my other game, um, which one was it? Uh, I'd have to look that one up. But uh, the Starfall Knights did a lot of damage. Um, when you combined a six maneuver uh cav with tactical reposition and cunning ploy i mean mm. good luck yeah. um because you're talking you know you just right away just give yourself the three inch shift i mean if it's especially the first round um i mean you're essentially especially if you're going to go first the next round um that uh you're, it's almost like an outflank, uh, in a sense. You cunning ploy the spears, because, I mean, they're spears, and now you're going, you haven't even activated yet, and you've marched 12 with a free 3-inch shift, especially if you took the free maneuver. If your opponent, let's say, was a faction that wanted the tactics cards, they take the tactic zone, you, you know, you, their turn, tactic reposition 3, they take the tactic zone, probably weaken your knights, but when you have Ilara, doesn't matter. You then take 
the maneuver with them, get another six, you're now up nine, cunning ploy for 12, and you haven't even activated. It, it, it's, uh, it's a crazily aggressive and uh, dynamic play, yeah. I, um, I, I think that land cavalry in general are a really good place right now. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think they're dominating the game. Um, I think that cavalry might be a little bit over prevalent, maybe, you know, with, but that, that's partly as a response to the fear of Vanguard and the fact that like you need to be, be able to turn around and threaten units that are in your rear. Um, but Lance specifically, I think it, it's good that those factions that have it, are seeing at least some use you know it's not always being used over over the options that are you know like the, there is of course hedge knights as like their mid-tier cavalry um somewhere between being you know good charges and and kind of a little bit grindy and then of course the flayed men who you know are generally perceived to be very sustain based um while they do gain that crit blow on the charge they have a very powerful attack profile based off of their panic damage, which, basically speaking, uh, is almost as good whether you began engaged or not, or, or whether you began engaged or with a, with a charger. Um, but Lance, of course, really comes down to that maneuverability and really comes down to that high aggression and, uh, and, and, and really needs to be supported by a lot of pieces. Um, it, it needs, it needs a, you need to strip those weakened tokens off for a start. So, uh, so Alaria becomes a really important NCU or, um, or Caitlin being very, very important for the Stark and, um, the Stark cavalry. That's probably the one thing that lets down Knights of Castle Rock is that, um, they can be, they can be weakened, um, and, and that the Lannisters don't have an amazing way to remove that token, uh, through, through anything other than the money bags. And so uh, I think that they all have a great place as a really dynamic, aggressive unit without being dominant of what the game is right now. And so I think that we are seeing um, some really interesting play. And, and I also think that the most recent changes to Free Folk and, and, and very importantly, the change to Relentless um, to not be uh, a start of turn order anymore, that, you know, as a pseudo activation, as we used to call it, um, has brought the whole spectrum of activation count um, into a much, much better position. I find that um, I find that seven, eight and nine activations are all having a much more interesting interaction and dynamic than they used to be. I don't believe that the game is quite such a such a constant race to have the highest activations all the time. I still personally lean on high activation counts a lot of the time. I still think it's a very viable strategy, but I don't think it's the only strategy anymore. Uh, for the first time ever, I felt like one of my best strategies was to take a seven activation list to a tournament whereas in the past i would have thought that that was uh you know just suicide i i, I would have said that like eight was the basic minimum for me and the way that i play even inside of the seven i think that five and two armies as we kind of call them five combat units with two ncus is becoming a much more viable option against the the four and three uh combat units versus ncu selection 
And dare I even say, you know, people have seen success with six activation armies where they where they field very, very tanky four units. Uh, whether or not we see that with Night's Watch fielding like Relentless or anybody fielding Relentless um, to the to the state where you have multiple units, none of which your opponent wants to attack, um, are all really interesting things to be explored over over the next season. Um, so I'm. Uh, from that from that tournament perspective, um, I, I think we're in a really really good place right now. Um, the 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 Greyjoys might be a bit sad at the moment, uh, and and I understand why their their current tournament play rate is incredibly low. I think they they caught some stray bullets that they didn't really deserve. But um, other than that, I think um, think I'm uh, I'm I'm definitely looking next forward to the next event and. Um, what kind of things uh, things will be seen and what things will create? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm super excited about uh, what the future holds because I think it's definitely in a great spot right now. Um, nothing, I mean, there's always going to be a handful of things that are going to be a little too good, uh, and I'm sure you know once we get more data, more tournaments out there. Um, you know, the next uh, patch will, um, you know, fingers crossed, we'll uh, deal with those uh, when the time comes. But, you know, nothing's ever going to be perfect, and uh, we're always going to have something to kind of complain about, regardless of how well the game uh, gets, you know, how balanced it gets. Uh, but at the moment, you know, I'm kind of I'm excited about, you know, going to some of these other events. I know Ohio... Uh, I forget what town, but the Sunday Slaughter uh, crew is having a tournament sometime um, mid mid year. They haven't uh, come up with a exact day yet. There is one coming up, I believe, next month. So I'm not uh, not confusing it with that one. I think they're doing like a qualifier or something, and that has yet to be announced what day. But decided to go to that. I know there's something going on in Minnesota, so can't wait to try to go to that as well um before we uh kind of end uh end here because we got about 10 more minutes uh was there anything else about the two tournaments that kind of stuck out to you carlo um no i i think i think i think not uh i think um i think a lot of it was sort of like what was expected i think that there was no like huge surprises in what won you know um kevin kevin pretty much won um you know uh, well kevin did win a very very similar kevin list won um over in valerian crown about a month ago and um and and the the john list archetype has uh you know been uh, well used on tts already well explored on tts and and they're both perceived to be very very strong and and, and and particularly like the biggest winners from the recent changes. So it wasn't any wild surprise, but I was I was pleased that um that that there were lots of other options. There were lots of other things also doing um you know, being successful and uh, and seeing seeing good representation up at the top. Um I would say overall I I, I was just, you know, surprised or pleased by like the health of the game um the the health of the wide selection at both events um and um and 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 i think that we might over the coming months tend towards like 
you know, the same thing seen again and again. Um, as information is shared, as people see other people's lists, the, there, there is, there is, there is, there is a tendency towards like as as the patch gets older, these. But I think that that these lists have been known to exist from very early into the patch. You know, people were playing these lists. This new John style list was being played on day one of the patch. Um, pretty much online continuously the most common matchup we have seen is john versus kevin whenever i'm on discord i see somebody playing playing that on dts uh and so i was fearful that it was just going to be a season of uh, of that matchup and while i did see a number of uh kevin mirrors and um and craig talks about you know having played john a lot um as his own personal experience we're seeing plenty of variety and so i think um maybe my initial fears that they were going to be such obvious winners won't translate and never does quite translate into um to like on tabletop play you know people are much more uh shall we say loyal to their to their faction loyal to um loyal to their preferred play style when they play in tournaments on the table um so I think that's uh, yeah, like I say, really healthy place, and uh, I was I was surprised at the level of health of the game, um, and uh, and and it has re- rejuvenated my own uh, interest in in the tournament. I was quite burnt out by the dominance of Mance towards the end of season one. I, I think that they did leave him as an overarching issue for 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 too long. Um, I think that the changes have really rejuvenated free folk as now having lots of viable choices um, without being like so obviously standout dominant. Uh, Though I do still think that they're very, very strong, possibly still the best faction in the game, but recent results say otherwise. Nobody's uh, winning with them right now. But uh, yeah, I, I... um, like I say, just uh, really looking forward to more events, seeing if, uh, see, seeing if anything really does obviously push towards the top and i would hope that if they if it does if something if if john or kevin uh you know start to prove that they're winning nearly every event with reasonable reliability that we might see like a quicker response to that but the response that they have given is on its most part season two is a really really good improvement to the game in my mind uh craig uh before we uh um do kind of the shout outs uh any last thoughts on um just just uh between both tournaments uh no i pretty much agree with everything he said i'm really happy with the where the game is right now um the the spread of factions we're seeing the different factions we're seeing winning i'm i'm pretty happy where everything's at so i don't really have much to add i agree um all right so with that said, uh, we can kind of wind down the show uh, and maybe do some shout-outs. Uh, kind of like you said, Craig, I want to I want to also shout out Sunday Slaughter. Um, they uh, Chris does an amazing job, uh, you know, kind of providing that uh, much-needed battle report content out there. Uh, it does an amazing job doing it. Um, we don't have a uh, like a Patreon or anything, but uh, I know I believe Chris does. And if you're looking to support anyone in the in the space definitely go over to go over to sunday slaughter check check out his work and uh consider supporting them um 
he he puts in a lot of time and effort into into his work and uh and people like that definitely need to be supported um uh otherwise i do also want to shout out marty um he is the one that ran all the events at adepticon uh he runs uh he has every year uh or the last uh like three years he's ran them uh as well as a bunch of other tournaments um he's one of the best guys i've ever met uh and i want to shout him out uh just give him some recognition for all the hard work he's done um the events at the Deathcon were awesome. Uh, I did all four events. Uh, I did uh, the Who's the Boss on Thursday, the team event on Friday. Uh, it was me and Spencer. Uh, the main event on Saturday, and then there was like a like a casual type event on Sunday where um, casual players and experienced players all played together. Um, it was like a team event. Uh, all the experienced players were put into a pool, casual players were put into a pool, and then you got randomly assigned a, a new partner every round. Uh, experienced players were partnered with um, inexperienced players, and uh, even though you were on a team, uh, in the end your score was uh, calculated as an individual, uh, which was really cool. A ton of prize support for all the new people, lots of new people that had just Literally went, bought a starter, opened it up, uh, helped provide them with the new cards, and it, it was an awesome event. So I definitely uh, I got to give uh, Marty a shout-out. Um, Carl, and do you have any shout-outs? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, a shout-out to um, the Always Winter guys, you know, John Craig, uh, and, and all the other people who helped, uh, helped him put on Always Winter. Um Similar to Adepticon, um, there was there was streaming there live on the day from uh, Dead Meta Gaming. Um, they uh, they're, they're actually a club very close to where I live, um, and and they do a lot of uh, live streams. They play nearly every week, so uh, check out Dead Meta if you want to see the top table from the event. Uh, they've got every roundup uh, as well. Uh, look out for Rotterdam White Scars, uh, Flixie, um, Jaron from. Uh, from over in Netherlands, he came over. He he filmed all of his own games throughout the tournament, and he'll be putting them up as battle reports over the coming weeks. And I, and I think that's really really great that the community shares its tournaments uh, in that way and gets streaming at these events. I think that that's brilliant to help promote the the really positive side of competitive gaming. Um, over the next few months, uh, in the build-up to the London Grand Tournament, which is going to be um, at the end of September, uh, hopefully going to be another really big year for that. Um, I'll be there as a player for the first time instead of running it this year. But in the build-up to that, there are a lot of other GTs across the UK. Um, there, there'll be uh, a one in one in Darlington. I'll be running an event in London, Birmingham, and Leeds. Uh, and there's uh, and there's the Welsh GT as well. So the UK scene. Big shout out to all the TOs putting on events uh, and really helping that go from strength to strength. Uh, and, you know, just uh, even though it's nothing to do with me, big shout out to all the TOs in the U.S. who are putting on these new frontline events. Uh, I, I hope that they all go really, really well and that that organized play in the USA um, like has a good response to everybody out there. You know, if you, if, if you have the opportunity to go to one of these GTs, one of these bigger events, um, 
you know, get get involved, go to anything that you can, make the effort to travel, even if it's a little bit further than you want to go, because no matter how much effort it might be for you to turn up to the event, um, I'm, sh- I'm sure your TO has put in uh, 10 times as much effort to try and make it a brilliant event for you. So, yeah, shout out to every TO out there and uh, shout out to every player who makes the effort to turn up to these tournaments, because it's the community at these events that makes them what they are and will keep the game growing and going from strength to strength. So, yeah, thank you. Big shout out to everybody. Awesome. Yep, I second uh, all that. Uh, you know, I appreciate everyone for listening in, uh, winding down now, and uh, stay tuned for more. This is the Small Council Radio, and it is dismissed. still here.